Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to the Western Hunting Hub Podcast. I have Paul Navarre on here again. He was here back before we voted on wolves in Colorado. And I wanted to bring him on to give a little update. This is going to be a two-part episode because uh, we didn't even start talking about wolves till 40 minutes in, so I split it. So this is the first part of that. Uh, really just talking hunting. He uh, had some good success turkey hunting, a little bit of coos deer in Arizona. And... Uh, yeah, had a good uh, good season. He's a um, heck of a hunter and uh, does a lot of work for conservation. So give this a listen. Uh, if you would, please. I haven't asked for this for a long time. Uh, if you enjoyed the Jim Shockey episode, go back and listen to that or any of these others. If you would, please go uh, scroll down on your Apple podcast um, app and give us a five-star rating or review. That would be great. Thanks for listening. Hey, Paul, thanks for jumping on the podcast again. Uh, it was back before the election, um, early fall, I guess it was when you were on and chatted with us about all the implications of wolves in Colorado and that big vote that we had that's well and done with. Now that it's June 6th and all kind of confusion all over the place as to what that means and things have changed. Uh, so I wanted to bring you back on and chat about that, but you also had some good hunting success. So introduce yourself real quick and then let's talk hunting. Well, thanks, Clint. It's great to be back and uh, be before your listeners. Uh, as you said uh, in an email to me that uh, the Wolf podcast back in October uh gain the, the f- best following. And of course, there's a lot of information still available to be uh, had. And I'm going to recommend some of that to your listeners. Um, yeah, Paul Navarre, I live in Fort Collins. I've been in Colorado for uh, 
25 years, uh, killed my uh, 13th bull elk last year with a bow, and that's all I do is bow hunt. And uh, really enjoy Colorado that way. Uh, I think Clint and I are going to talk a little bit about my coos deer hunt down in Arizona and maybe some turkey hunting in Nebraska. Uh, been around a long time, was, the, uh, was on the board of directors of the Colorado Bow Hunters Association um, for seven years in the early 80s. That's right, all right, in the early 2000s, uh, was the uh, division liaison. So I went to a lot of Wildlife Commission meetings all across the state to let our members know what's going on and what might affect hunting and bow hunting in Colorado, testified before the commission on a variety of issues, and uh, was, uh, was a manager of the Becoming a Bow Hunter program for the CBA for five years here in northeastern Colorado. I uh, was the division, no, I was the uh, banquet chairman three years ago uh, here in Fort Collins. So I've been very involved with uh, with the CBA. And uh, as always, I would highly recommend any bow hunter to become a member of the, our state organizations. And I can certainly give an email uh, website address. We have done some great things. We have we have some high-tech IT guys on our on our board now. We have a magazine that is, it should go on the newsstands. It's so good. And we're, our website is fantastic. And uh, so we're really getting the communications out through electronic media because years ago when that wasn't available, we were, we were relying on newsprint. So the electronic media is really going uh, good. And the guys that are involved in that are just great motivators and movements moving CBA forward in a, in a positive way. So 81 oh, wow. years old, still hunting, backpacking, uh, bow hunting. I probably bow hunt nine months of the year, uh, for something and then, uh, fish the other three months. And so that's sort of who I am. And do it all over again the next year. Yes. Well, that's awesome. And this is totally a off, off topic question, but, um, sounds like you might have a little insight for me. So I have a archery issue right now that it just kind of came up this morning. I've got, I was down to like four arrows and still was just kind of shooting, had a couple of bum fletchings like, okay, now I got to go down through my pile and put some new inserts in, refletch, just get some arrows fixed back up. And I get down and I don't even have six of the same arrow because I've switched too many times from a different spine that went a little stiffer to a different, not a different brand of arrow, but just a touch different arrow within the, because I shoot Victory VAP TKOs as well as the, the Elites. I've kind of gone back and forth between those. And so I got 22 arrows and not six of the same or even a dozen of the same. So I uh, now I'm looking at this and thinking, I don't even know if I want to shoot these arrows anymore. I need to go. I need to, I'm on a whole arrow building quest now to find what, what kind of ultimate arrow I want to build. And I've got these, uh, Eastern axis five millimeters that I really like for my recurve that I got set up with. So mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe it's going with that. I, I, I need to, I need to do something a little different. What's your, I'm looking into four fletch, smaller veins. I don't know. You got any any direction for me? I, I might. So I shoot both. I shoot a uh, a Matthews single cam Reason 
uh, compound, at, and it's set at 60 pounds. I used to sit, shoot 65, but now that I'm older, uh, I find it much better to shoot a little lighter uh, let, uh, let off and also a pole. And uh, last year I killed my elk at 20 yards, the year before 18 yards. Uh, so I've never killed an elk over 32 yards. So with the modern technology of compound bows and their stored energy and, and the way they zip an arrow forward, uh, reducing poundage isn't all that bad. But And on my recurve, it's 55-pound Great Plains recurve, 60 inches long. Uh, what's different is that the arrow coming off the strings through a, 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 a device that measures the uh, speed. Uh, my, my compound bow shoots around uh, uh, 250 feet per second coming off the bow. Uh, my recurve bow shoots about 175 feet per second, so there's quite a difference there. So uh, I don't try to shoot any farther than 25 yards with my recurve, and I'd much prefer 15 or 20 yards with the recurve. Uh, compound, like I said, I've never killed an elk over 32 yards, even with a compound. I like the idea of getting close. So arrow selection is really important. Uh, re Recurve-wise, I shoot a, a gold-tip uh, traditional uh, uh, shaft, and I shoot a 600 because I, I went down to the archery shop and I tried a variety of, of weights, whether they were 600, 500, 400s, four, and, and I bare-shafted them. In other words, I shot them without any any fletching on them or feathers, basically. And I found that the 600 shot the very, very best with a 125 to 150 grain uh, insert tip on them, a broadhead single cut on impact, uh, three blade broadhead. Uh, on the other side of that, uh, out of my compound, I shoot, um, I shoot uh, 400s. Yeah, I shoot 400s and they shoot very well for me. And again, I shoot gold tips. Uh, just because I have used them over the years, but I've tried other ones. I've tried the the carbon uh, aluminum carbon insert uh, arrows, but they are aluminum and they don't last as long. They they will bend. They might be a, and there's a lot of air, good arrows out there. So I think there's charts available to find the right spine and the right poundage uh, comp, uh, equation to shoot the right staff shaft. Yeah, and I'm uh, and I'm sitting at a 300, pretty pretty solidly a 300, comfortably. Yeah. And I like yeah, a little heavier arrow too to be, and not like heavy heavy, just like 475 grains, or for to well, 490. Yeah so, yeah, so my recurve bow, uh, the the shaft weighs uh, almost 10 grains per inch, and I shoot a 30 inch length shaft, even though I only pulled 27 and a half inches. I just like the extra weight and the and the downrange uh momentum of the arrow when it hits the animal uh and i shoot uh, a little thicker uh shaft uh, even with my compound bow and i think my weight is around 450 for for elk and with 125 grain broadhead so uh i think it's really important to have the right the right uh, stiffness and the right length and the right arrow and the right weight too uh, yeah. What What do you pull on your compound bow, or are you? It's sixty. Or? It's uh How much? sixty on my compound. Okay. And, right. and but I've got a thirty-two inch draw, so I've Very. I can and shoot full length arrows, so I can send that baby flying. Um, sure. 
but so are you are you are you noticing that some of the shafts are kicking off right or left or up and down or uh there is a touch i have paper tuned once and there's a touch kick to the left if i remember correctly and tried a lot of stuff and it's almost like i needed a stiffer arrow yet is almost kind of and these didn't come in a 250 but uh i know other brands do i just need to need to go stop in a shop the other way to make an arrow stiffer is to uh, i believe make it shorter in length and the other way is to i think which I was perfect in saying all this, uh, add more weight to it or less weight. I, I think right. maybe more weight. So, yeah. So yeah, it's important. I think you'll figure it out. There's a lot of YouTube information out there. You can go and you can look, talk to the experts or people who think they are and, and figure it out. But I would say definitely find those that arrow manufacturer that you like, find the right spine, right about heaviness. Once it, the product is all put together and, and I think you'll be happy with with the results yeah and, and then it makes me because you go and drop two hundred dollars on new arrows or more and makes you almost think well if i get a dozen of those maybe i should just go buy the new bow that i wanted <laughs> first before well, i go well set here's it. what here's what's interesting about arrow shafts now i shoot turkeys uh with my compound bow and i shoot uh, turkey or geese with my compound bow i'm very lucky here in fort collins right outside the city limits i live but about a half a mile away i have a friend who who uh lives across the lake and he's in the county and I've killed over a hundred geese with my bow and I go to Walmart and I buy a, a reasonably inexpensive already fletched arrow, uh, for, uh, to shoot out of my compound. And I've been shooting those arrows for ever for geese and, uh, and turkeys. Hmm. And they seem to be just fine. Once you, and they're what five six bucks a piece. Maybe you can get them cheaper on sale, but yeah. they seem to be just fine. They're already fletched, and uh, if I lose a couple, break a couple, I just go back and replace them. Yeah. Uh, so they, yeah, they I've... seem to work fine. In a, but I wouldn't use those on for elk or deer. I want to. I want to be a little bit more precise. But I don't know if that's even the the definition of why I don't use them. I think I just prefer a, a better shaft or maybe right. it's just because I, I like those shafts for elk and deer. And, yeah. Well, on that, that note, you went three for three in your turkeys. Tell it us a little a bit. Fun. Of, tell us about that. Well, I've hunted turkeys. I started hunting turkeys in North Carolina with a shotgun. That's not, and even before that I shot a couple in Michigan, but I've never killed one in Ohio where I was from originally. And then when I came to Colorado in uh, 91, I looked at uh, the statistics on turkeys in Colorado, and I think there's maybe 40,000 turkeys versus hundreds of thousands in other states. And uh, But I found that the uh, out west and around Montrose and the and Compadre Plateau, there was a decent amount of turkeys over there. So I went over there in the spring, and I shot a couple with my shotgun. But and then one year I thought, well, I'm going to take my bow and shotgun. Well, I got fairly close with a shotgun. And then on the third day, uh, uh, I had a turkey come in, and but he wasn't close, and I wasn't able to get him with the bow. And I said, you know, the only way I'm ever going to kill turkeys with a bow is to leave shotgun at home. So I've never taken the shotgun after that. But I did notice that most of the turkeys I've killed, and maybe, oh, 60 of them, 
some in Colorado, some in Kansas, and the majority in Nebraska, that I've used a tent blind and put the decoys 15 yards out in front. And uh, But I had an interesting hunt this year. So Nebraska hunt. Nebraska's season starts in late March, and it's bow hunting only for the first three weeks. And then around mid-April, shotgun season comes in. So the bow hunter has an opportunity to go over there and just be the only person on the planet hunting turkeys in Colorado. There's a lot of information about Nebraska, and there's a lot of people from all over coming to Nebraska for that early season. I've talked to people from Idaho, from Kansas, from from even down in Mississippi. I've talked to people this year that, that showed up to hunt on some of these state wildlife areas where I hunt. But I know these areas, and I can... After the first day of, of the weekend, there weren't any hunters around. It was amazing. Saturday, they were all over, and then Sunday, nothing. And uh, so anyway, um, the first two turkeys I killed this year uh, were both out of a tent blind. But I had to move that blind two or three times from where I thought the turkeys were going to be. Now, luckily, out west here, even in Colorado, we can hunt them all day long, sunrise to sunset. Some states like, uh, oh, maybe not Kansas, but... Uh, well, farther east, maybe you can only hunt until noon or one o'clock. Huh. So we can hunt near the roost both morning and evening, or we can hunt in feeding areas, and uh, we can hunt earlier when they're just still flocked up in late March, early April, and then we can hunt them when they're breaking up, and then we can hunt them when they're starting to respond really well to calls and decoying. And uh, the first hunt I made over there in Nebraska, I killed it on the fifth day, but I had turkeys in the decoys the first day. I'm I basically screwed up. I was trying to shoot through one window, and he got too far outside the window, and I rushed a shot and got tail feathers. And then a couple hours later, I had two more come in unannounced. I was sitting there reading the old man and the boy book in my chair in the blind, and I looked up, and there's two turkeys standing over my my uh, my Tom decoy. And uh, by the time I got my bow ready out of the chair and the book down, they were gone. <laughs> So the next day I moved my blind over near the roost and I, uh, no, in the morning I hunted where I had hunted in the morning before in the afternoon, I moved over near the roost knowing that when they fly down and disperse, sometimes the toms will come back a few hours later, maybe late morning, early afternoon and make a couple calls, wander through the area looking for hens. And so I get over there at nine thirty, set up, put out my uh, subordinate Jake decoy, over a hen with two other hens kind of wandering off to the side. And I called while my box call gave it a nice yelp. And uh, right across the creek in the brush, uh, I heard a Tom answer and I cackled to him a little bit and he was closer. I had my decoy on a string that I could move. The Tom saw that he comes waltzing in and I shot him at 12 yards. He ran right by the blind, and he fell over within 10 feet of my blind, and he weighed on the hoof 22.2 pounds, the largest wild turkey I'd ever killed. Hmm. So that was day six, but I was lucky enough to be retired, and I can hunt on and on and on without going back to work. So about a week later, I come back, and I hunted a different area, and I discovered some turkeys one afternoon, but they didn't come to my decoys. They crossed the creek. And uh, they went to a roost tree. I said, okay, I'm going to go drive around five miles and come on the other side of the creek and check them out. But I couldn't set up my blind, so I had one of these uh, uh, decoys attached to your blind, or, or to your bow. 
So there's two types that do that. Heads-up decoy is one, which I had luck with a few years ago. And the new one out there now is the ultimate predator decoy. I'm all over those all over those decoys. I've got two of them now. Not in the turkey, just the elk and the whitetail. And I've, I don't know how many times I've talked about this podcast. Those things are awesome. They are really yes. awesome. Yes, and, and I'll tell the story about using that decoy in a second. So uh, anyway, I tried that this mor- that morning because I knew I couldn't set up the blind. I waltzed into their uh, roost area uh, at dark. I set up about 100 yards away, but they flew down and they went the other way. And then a little later, one Tom came back, but he was more of a lover than a fighter. He got within 60 yards of me and then turned around and left. So I went back and got my blind, set it up, left for a while, came back around 4 o'clock, got in the blind, did some calling, and about an hour later, I hit a, hear a gobble. When you're sitting in a blind, sometimes you don't know which direction the gobble is coming from. And I didn't know that this turkey was behind my blind, and I'm sitting there looking out the window, and he walks right out in front of me. And he's looking right at the decoy, and I thought for sure he was going to hear me get off the seat and get my bow. And uh, But he waltzed uh, about 10 yards away, and he was looking at my Jake decoy, and I did a Texas heart shot on him through his rear, and it came out the front shoulder, and he collapsed on the spot. And that was my second bird. Hmm. So I go home, and I'm messing around, the, messing around the house, and my wife's starting to feel sorry for me, sort of. And she says, well, Paul, if you want to buy another turkey tag for $128, go ahead. And I went, oh, really? Okay. So I decided to go up to Scott's Bluff and hunt those bluff areas where I'd had success with. But I took the uh, ultimate predator decoy and I pull in the parking lot at nine o'clock. I get up on a little hill and I look a mile away across this prairie against the against the bluffs and I hear I see a tom with three hens. So I get ready and an hour later I ride my mountain bike down this two rut trail two-thirds of the way there, I get off, I get set up next to a tree, and luckily I had a couple ravens fly over, and they were calling at me or calling together, and this Tom answered about 200 yards away down in a little gully, and I sneak up there, I get over a hill, he's down in there, but I don't see him, I set up the decoy on the on the bow, I cackle, he comes out of the, the ravine, and he sees that decoy as a threat, and he comes waltzing up within five yards, and I shoot him right there, point-blank range. And talk about exciting. It's like shooting a bullock at five yards. He's right there <laughs> in your face. So that yeah. was a lot of fun. And, and so I've got three turkeys in the freezer, actually two now because we ate one of them. Wow. But it's a lot of fun. It's 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 bow hunting. It's hunting. It's in the springtime. It's a nice time to be out. And the animals, the turkeys are, you know, that sometimes the toms have their brains in their pants, but sometimes not. They're very cautious and sometimes they can be spooked very easily but uh i've been hunting them many many years and i've found out uh how to do it and it, it's just a lot of fun so well Looking it was the next year again yeah it was not the turkey season for a lot of people up here in south dakota i don't know if you know it, but i actually moved since i talked to you last in south to south dakota from the western slope of colorado and uh i'm in the black hills beautiful area Another yeah. one of those big turkey hunting area spots, but it's not anymore. Our numbers are so down the last like three years, and uh, the number of people that you, you hear just not being successful is is getting up there. A lot of people traveling from all over to come hunt our birds, and they just exactly because they're they're looking for a true Merriman's. Yeah, uh, in South Dakota and and northern uh, Nebraska has them. Of course, along the Colorado Nebraska. Nebraska border they're across and then of course you don't get into the Rios until they get down to Oklahoma and Texas 
Hmm. So sometimes people are looking to fill their, their grand slam of four birds and, uh, with social media and and blogs like this and and just write-ups in magazines, uh, people are willing to take a two weeks off and go try to get all four of them. And they start out in the, some of the northern states and make a circle. So it doesn't surprise me at all. I, as I said, I found exactly the same thing in in Nebraska on state wildlife areas. People from all over the country were showing up. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And now uh, you just in the last since January shot yourself a coos deer and yeah. my mind's on Arizona here yeah, I know it's I've got a full fall season of hunting in Colorado and South Dakota here between now and when I go but I'm planning on going uh Ryan from Hunt Arizona as uh, a buddy of mine and a listener and he he kind of has gotten me talked in talked me into it which really wasn't didn't take much arm twisting but just was an invitation, and now next January I'm going down to hunt with him, and I'm looking forward to that a lot. I I do want to chase the the big muleys I got down there, but I wouldn't pass on a nice coos deer if that's what we ran into. That's for sure. Well, in some areas there's a transitional area where you'll find muleys on the desert, and some transitions into the foothills, and then some places you'll only find coos whitetail, uh, and we should pronounce it cows, C O U E S. But anyway, yeah. Um, yeah. So I've been down nine or ten times. I've killed six cows, bucks, all on public land without a guide. Oh, boy. I went down to Mexico once and killed one on a 48,000-acre 40 48, cattle ranch with a buddy of mine. Killed a decent one down there. Killed one. The biggest one was 95 inches. I have him mounted in my office. He made Pope and Young. The one I killed this year uh, scored was a gross score of 74 and he he netted um, 72 and an eighth, so he made Pope and Young minimum of 70. And I registered him of Pope and Young. And I think I've got a couple more that I might have made Pope and Young minimums of. It used to be 65, but now it's 70. So I started going down there 15 years ago uh, and uh, hunted one area, but it became too popular with tourists and birders. And so I don't go there anymore. Uh, but I like the I like the mountainous areas. I'm hunting at 6,600 feet, and uh, it's real heavy timber, a lot of oak brush. And the nice thing I liked, particularly this year, is that the streams had a, a, a source of water, even though this year it could be just puddles. But there was enough seeps to give the deer uh, some water, and then there's enough concentration of, of oak, oak brush and uh, and pine trees and forage for the deer to survive. And the other thing is you've got gun hunters who love the long range coos deer hunt, whether it's 50 yards or hundred yards or 300 yards, which they can certainly do with modern firearms, but hunting in the thicker areas, it doesn't give the rifle hunter a chance to really shoot that long range. So I think there's a better chance for some of the bucks to survive versus in a more open area. I've never, I've done a few spot and stalks on, on uh, coos, uh, but never able to get close. And I give credit for those guys that can sneak in on them and get within archery range. And But some of those archery rangers are, are I've seen a guy shoot it at a mule deer out there at 110 yards and kill it, but I would never take a shot personally. And I've seen or heard of guys taking 60, 70 yard shots at coos. Uh, I, I'm not effective at that range. I think all the coos I've killed have been less than, 30 yards and uh and so you're I, just still hunting walking through the thick stuff 
Well, no, I'm not. So over the years, I've discovered, uh, and even this year was a new. I was in the same general area that I've camped before, but I found a different area, and I, I look for habitat. I look for sign. Uh, if I'm going up a two-rut road uh, through the area and there's a stream on one side, I walk up that road or mountain bike up looking for deer tracks, and I'll put a little stone pile off the side of the road just to show me, especially after a rain where those deer have been crossing, and uh, and uh, so I can see it there. Some areas look so deery that, but there may not be some. These deer don't travel more than a mile from. They're just like sort of normal farmland whitetails. They they don't migrate much more than a mile, and a lot of them live and die on the same half mile if they have the right habitat and food source and water. And uh, so, a couple of years ago, uh, when I killed my killed a buck, I was sh- shooting him out of a tree stand. But there was a transition between. There was a creek there. And uh, I saw, I had a trail camera out and I had bucks coming by the trail camera. And I said, okay. So I shot him out of a tree stand. Two years later and two years ago, I was hiking up a trail to go hunting and I saw a buck chasing, not chasing, following a doe. And I circled around in front of him and ambushed him as the doe came by. Shot him. And this year, uh, I shot this buck. I was on the ground at nine yards. And I found an area, this there had a huge drought in the last two years, had a terrible drought in Arizona where they normally get six, seven, eight, eight inches of rain in, in particular months in the winter. They didn't have any. And so uh, I found an area along a creek, and the creek wasn't didn't have any water in it, but there was a couple seeps coming out of the hillside creating a little pools. And I said, boy, this looks just a great spot. You've done the same thing, and other hunters that are listening have done the same thing. You walk into an area and it just looks like a deer area. Yeah. If I was a deer, I would want to live in that area. Same thing with elk, same thing with turkeys. It just has the right ingredients. And as we walk along, we go, oh, there's water here. There's a real heavy thicket hillside over there. There's food here. And, gee, there's a track. There's got to be a deer here. And sure enough, that evening, right at maybe 20 more minutes of light, here comes a buck along a ridge 30 yards away, and he came behind a great big tree trunk and he walks as i am at full draw i'm on the ground and i uh, shot him at nine yards oh he's boy the one that, yeah so that was a lot of fun and uh i think if i'd go back again in a, this year or next year i'd probably go to the same area and give it another try but this year my plan was to go out there and, and desert mule hunt i knew i could probably kill a, a whitetail in arizona but I'd never gone after the mule deer, and I didn't see and never seen that many mule deer at all where I hunt coos deer, whether it's down near Patagonia or over in the eastern part of southeastern part of the state. They're down at a lower elevation, uh, mostly in the sagebrush and right at the edge of the foothills. Yeah. And so uh, I went out there a week before. I left uh, before I left right after Christmas, and I, it takes a day and a half to get out there. I stay in Albuquerque, and then I drive the next day. And I went to two different areas that somebody had guaranteed me I'd see mule deer and it gave me the coordinates of actually where to go and where to sit and where to look. Wow. And I got there and I never saw a deer. And I checked with some locals in another spot and they said, Paul, we've been going through a terrible situation with deer this year. There's the, the tanks that normally would have water in it, natural water or from runoff. They don't exist. And some of the tanks that cattlemen have on private land, uh, they may allow hunting. There are some ranchers down there that do allow access. You can go in and sign in and go. 
but I talked to a group of guys that had been in there off and on, and nobody could kill the deer. It's not that they didn't. And they have to sign in. You can check the registers. So I'm sure some guys did do okay, but even whitetails, the success on it is only less than 10%. So uh, in mule deer, it's probably not much more than that. Wow. So after five days of looking around and talking to locals, I said, you know, I want to kill a deer. Uh, I'm just going to drive back to where I normally kill whitetails and go over there and hunt. And that's where I went. So for five days, I looked around and I saw a couple does. I never saw a buck. I never saw any water. I went to these places where I was given coordinates and got up on these hills and sat there with the binoculars and the spotting scope, saw a few javelina and never saw a deer. And in the dry areas, I saw never saw any tracks. Sometimes you can take my, I had my Toyota Tacoma and I could put it in four-wheel drive and drive down some of these sandy arroyos and old creek bottoms and never saw a track. and uh, talked to other people that said, boy, we're just not seeing the deer. So they're going through a hard time. And there might be a change in licenses in Arizona in the near future. I've been hearing this on bowhunting, uh, uh, com, where uh, they might be changing many of the over-the-counter areas to limited draw. Uh, I know the area I hunt in is only a two-week season because years ago it was a 30-day season, but they have a threshold. They they say if bow hunters are killing more than 20% of the elk in any particular area, we're going to start doing something. And what they did, there was something was they uh, restricted it to two week season to reduce the uh, take in that area. And it still exists today. Uh, and they might do that more often. And then if the mule deer are starting to hurt so much in Arizona, they might start restricting that to a limited draw. And when that happens and how it's going to happen and what units are going to affect, I do not know, but, uh, it probably will happen in the, in the near future. Hmm. I don't know what the near future means. It could be next year or it could be four years from now. Yeah. That's interesting. It's, it, there's always so many fluctuations and changes in every, every population. You're not going to keep the same number of tags or over the counter. You even look in Colorado, seeing the number of OTC units for elk kind of slowly dwindling away and, and sure. all the conversations that you've been a part of, I know of there that, that have been, uh, chatted about trying to figure out what, what the future of Colorado's archery seasons look like. Lots of, lots of different avenues I've kept up with here and there. Well, and I was, I was very fortunate, uh, to draw the same tag. I killed my elk in last year. Oh, oh, you, you do an archery draw unit. I did. And, uh, sometimes they require a point or two. And for some reason I drew with no points. Hmm. as I did last year. So it was just one of those miracle things. And my goal, my bucket list for the last 10 years is to kill an elk with my recurve. And I almost did last year. Uh, probably on the last broadcast we did together, I had a little arrow knock string malfunction in that when I released on this elk from my tree stand, I was only eight feet off the ground and he was 19 yards broadside. I didn't know that this lighted knock knock was too tight on my service string and when I released at this elk 19 yards away broadside surely I was going to fill my bucket list that arrow kicked off the string almost a 40 degree angle and dove at the feet of this elk making no contact and I went what the heck just happened and when I went back to camp and that morning I filed down the inside of the knock slightly to allow that thicker service on the string 
uh, and it shot like darts. And I went, well, there you go, learn and live. Yeah. So I went back a week later with my compound and shot this bull at 22 yards uh, with my compound. But this year, I said, gee, where am I even going to hunt this year if I don't draw 12 or this unit again? And I thought, God, I don't know where, because the area that I wanted that I hunted in the past years ago all burned out last year with the Colorado forest fire north of Granby. That right. whole area is 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 toast. And uh, so maybe I was going to hunt down near Montrose. There was a possibility down there. but So I feel lucky enough to be able to draw that area, and I'm definitely going to use my stick, and I want to fulfill my bucket list because uh, time might be getting short for Paul over the years, you know, as I move forward and mature in life. So. Yeah. Well, I've got I, I've kind of put a plan I think for now that I'm a non-resident of Colorado to uh, this year I'm going with Dad and just focusing on his his tag and that's an over-the-counter. But now that I have four points and I've been successful shooting elk in the past, I, I'm not I don't need to just fill a tag. I'd like now I'd like to go on just a fun hunt. And so I don't need to pick up my rifle to use my points and I don't ever want to wait 20 years for some, some big tag. Sure. I'm going to just start using points every three, four, five, six, seven years. I think I'm, and try and get in one of those draw units. It's just kicks out a few more people. And so there's less people there and hopefully an area with decent quality and just have a, have a good time. So that, that'll be my goal over the next next few years and who knows maybe it won't even be next year uh say we have well i found i found this uh when i moved to colorado in 1991 and was hunting near the granby area maybe 30 miles away i'd hike back two miles and i would never see anybody it was amazing but once the word started getting out once there was a few people that actually do the scouting for you and listed on a website and somebody could buy their scouting report and go back in there. More and more people just got to know some of these areas. And as technology allowed us to camp longer with a lighter load with freeze dried food and lightweight tents and water, water purification uh, tablets or purification devices, people just learned and with that they could stay in there instead of coming out every night, they could go in there and stay five days they could truck camp and go in there two or three days yeah. and stay and that's been not my secret but that's been my way i have hunted for years and the same thing where i will be hunting this year and last year and the year before i hike two miles in i gain 1600 vertical feet in those two miles i carry my backpack uh with my sleeping bag and all the stuff i need in a small mountain tent and i have water a uh, uh, hundred yards away I'm downwind from where I hunt. I'm within a, a third of a mile of where actually I'm hunting. I let the elk, I'm hunting over a couple of wallows. So I'm not, I'm doing a little bit of calling maybe towards evening to let some elk or maybe a bull know that I'm around and friendly. And so I, I'm getting away from that. And I see a few hunters, but they come up off the road and maybe I'll see them in the morning or evening, but I never see them in the, I never see them in the late evening when the elk are, moving into their their uh, their watering and feeding areas, which is normally the last hour and most likely the last 20 minutes of, of light uh, when they move, start moving that early. Now, as elk might get a little bit more aggressive, 
and the cow elk start coming into estrus and the bulls are starting to get more uh, mating interest, then I'll get a little bit more aggressive. I might follow an elk around. I might start to try to do some elk calling, bugling, lure one in. But when I hunt by myself, it's difficult because like turkeys, if you call, the, the elk know exactly where you're at. And it's very difficult to to have, have an elk come right to you and with not being affected by your scent and wind, uh, which if you have another person calling behind you, then he can lure the elk towards him and you can figure out where to be and you can draw the elk by you. But being a solo hunter, I have to do, use a little different, more tactics, different tactics for a solo hunter versus somebody who has a hunting partner with them. And uh, so it, it works. Uh, I found a good couple of good wallows and, uh, even when it's dry, like last year up in the, and I think it's going to be dry again this year. I, I have a pronghorn tag for west, northwestern Colorado, and I called the outfitter, uh, the rancher. He lets, he gives you, it's a trespass fee, and you can hunt five days and camp on the property. And last year we had water holes. No, four years ago we had water holes. Four years ago before that we had water. And when I called him, I said, uh, I'd like the same water hole as I had four years ago. And he says, there's no water in it. Oh, and I said, well, my buddy wants to hunt his same water where well, there's no water in it i said well what are we going to do he says well we have tanks out we had to haul water out for the cattle and in certain areas and we put some out in the pastures here and there and there's there's some water around that you can set up a blind so and it's too early to use any decoys so uh, i think we'll be all right yeah there's, there's, yeah i think we're all right just have to change up tactics a little bit like I said, this is a two-part episode, so uh, I know I stopped a little abruptly there, but we will catch up next week with the rest of this episode, uh, mainly focusing on just wolves next time. So thanks for listening. Got a deed to the land, but it ain't my ground. This is God's country.